0: This is cliffcentral.com.
1: Sanbonan nonke. Welcome to the show. It is the Contra show Wednesdays. Hmm. Revolution. 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 How are you Rory? Dumelang. <laughs> Lekai. Yeah, I was going to say my only suit to saying, but then What I you him on that? Your Robert's <laughs> Oh, Yes, I know. Bueno, One language at a time. I'm getting through Zulu, relax. I'll get there. I'll get there. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. Okay, so it is the end of a series, an end of a continuous battle, but not the end for your battle here at home. At the White Privilege series is coming to an end. We have an incredible guest with us today in studio. Madame Sison Kamsima.
2: Madame, I like it. Hi, guys. (laughs) Madame Sison Kamsima, who has been an advisor to us
3: uh, on some of these prickly issues, and she saw it fit to come and join us, flew all the way from Australia, (laughs) to come and join us in studio in this last show, just to make sure that we we pack everything and package it nicely, and that we leave with some very good so-whats, because let's be honest, we spoke a lot of things, but... There was still that thing of like, okay, so yeah, I get it, white privilege exists, I get that it's a problem, Um, I get that things can get awkward in a studio when we haven't addressed white privilege, but now, so what?
1: What do we do with that? What
3: do we do with it? And then... Sisonke decided to fly all the way from Australia to come to our rescue, <laughs> and she's going to help us unpack.
1: Hey, listen, if you want to get in the conversation, if you want to ask your questions about white privilege, if you've been listening to the show and you still have something that is burning within you that you want an answer to, you can WeChat us at cliffcentral.com, or you can tweet us at Rory Shabalala or at Yebo underscore Levy, and we will try and answer some of those questions. We'll put them to Sisonke, and uh, of course you can tweet her as well, at Sisonke Msimang. If you don't know how to spell it, then... You're not gonna tweet her. Simple (laughs) as that. I I must
3: say, (laughs) I I must say, when I when I looked at all the retweets when we said. uh, this is the final show of the White, White Privilege Series. And, uh, you know, we're sad, but we're also excited. And the many retweets that we got, I just thought, how many of those are just
1: saying, actually, finally. Thank God. Ooh. Can these guys please move Ooh. on? Can they please move let's on? Let's talk
3: about something else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Okay, let's do this. Let's start the show with what happened in the last month.
0: Um, South Africans in particular respond to white privilege is they have three major responses they deny, diminish, or deflect. White privilege
3: does not equal racism.
0: They're wanting to hold on to their monopoly on opportunity.
3: We had people who just like, oh, not this again. We-
0: white privilege works differently for different white people, it's not the same. What do you lose by saying, I have it? You can be born with privilege, whether you're born wealthy, whether you're born poor. You can give everything you own away, but you can never give away your white privilege. But as soon as you get into the workplace, it's like you still hang out with white people only because it's just too much effort.
1: I'm done need to stop explaining to white people how their privilege operates. And they've got to find a white person like Andrew over here who can maybe have the conversation with them without black bodies present. But I'm really, like, absolutely disgusted by the lack of self-awareness.
0: White people get unnecessary respect.
3: Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that black and white are equal? No. Do you believe they're born equal? Yes when do we stop being equal?
1: It always comes at a cost. And if you don't face the facts, if you don't face the emotional facts of what you're responsible for, of, of how unfair it is that you have the advantages. If you're doing something that's not fair to others around you and, you and you feel guilty about it and won't face up to that, it's horrible. It's a horrible way to live. Perhaps this very show became a microcosm of that very same thing. I mean, you know, it brings heat into a room like you've never seen. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of guilt around it. Bradley, sorry. Sorry, I, I need to interrupt you, partly because I don't understand you, and partly because I feel like we've dealt with a lot of this, and um, I am feeling frustrated. Sure. What else are you feeling? I'm feeling like you haven't really taken into consideration why you are here.
3: I'm all for, I'm all for <laughs> these awkward silences.
1: Uh, Eusebius said something to me uh, off air, where he said, it's not in the actions of people, but within the reactions, that you really see what comes out. And I think that this show has shown me that I've still got a lot of work to do uh, because my reaction there was quite aggressive.
3: Mm.
1: And, I, and I immediately I want to defend it mm. and say that it wasn't about white privilege. It was about this and the show, but it was in the reaction rather than the actions that I've taken. So.
3: Bumper series. Bumper <laughs> series. you know. Wow. Th- as much as there is so much in that it's it's such a pity because there's so much more that we can unpack about that but i think coming into the series there was there was always this question about like guys white privilege you know is it a thing should we be worried about it should we be speaking about it is this not just creating more tensions interracial tensions and so on so i'd love to hear from Susanka. Susanke, is this thing is this a thing or are we just are we just looking for attention to a black guy and a white guy are just bored with life and are now looking for attention. <laughs> is this something that we need to, as South Africans, be concerned about?
2: Well, so obviously I'll say yes, we have to be concerned about it. But I think what you're speaking to is, on the one hand, you have a group of people who talk about race all the time, black and white, primarily black. And so there's a sense of fatigue So there's this idea that, like, why are we still talking about white privilege? It's so basic. It exists. It's there. It's boring to talk about it. And on the other hand, there's a whole much larger, I think, group of South Africans who don't talk about it in part because people do think that talking about race and racism makes it worse. And that if we don't talk about it, it's not real and we can all go about as if we're all equal. We
1: should just get on with our lives, you know?
2: We should either get on with our lives or talking about it is racist,
1: mm, right? So Acknowledging probably, race
2: yeah. is racist. Mm. A lot of people are under that misconception. Take me through that. And so I've had lots of conversations, particularly with students, particularly before this year with Must Fall, because often after I do a column, then I'll get invited to you know give a lecture or interact with students at universities and so on. And so often I would hear from black students that some of their white peers – Think that talking about race is racist. Mm. The minute you have a conversation that makes everyone's skin color an issue, mm. where you say, you're black, I'm white, we're different, not different biologically, you know, because we're what, you know, you know what I'm mm. trying to say, right? But mm. that we are different and we have different cultural experiences, we have different experiences of our race, it makes white people uncomfortable. And so they would prefer to say, we're all the same. Mm. Why are we talking about this difference? That's racist.
1: Can I just clarify here? Because a lot of people, specifically listeners to this show, will be like, no, no, no. When a black person says that it's racist against white people, do you believe that there's anything anything like white racism? Or black racism. Uh, or black racism. So racism against white people is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah. So in order to answer that question, you have to recognize that racism is not just about attitudes. It's not just about me looking at a white person and saying, I don't like white people for X, Y uh, reasons. It's not simply that's prejudice. So it is perfectly possible for a black person to be prejudiced against white people, um, for whatever reason, some of them may be valid, because they have had experiences that are painful and difficult from many, many white people. And they live in a society that collectively acts against black people in particular ways. Or they simply could have, you know, racist ideologies, right? So prejudice ideologies. So there's prejudice, and then there's racism. And the conversation about racism includes both your personal feeling about someone based on the group identity, as well as Structural and institutional practices That make life more difficult for that person On the basis of their skin color Mm. So when we talk about racism We're talking about a collective And structural or institutional way In which a person is disadvantaged The conversation about white privilege gets difficult Because people often want to talk about white privilege As if it's only about attitudes Only about feelings Mm. It is about feelings and attitudes And things that you may say to offend people But the reason why I will Disagree respectfully with Eusebius And not be done with a conversation About white privilege Is because it's also structural It is also about the accumulation Of those prejudices And how they affect my child When they go into the workplace For the first time Sisonke
3: mm. Now let's bring your story Into into studio um, So you are married to a white man um, You've got mixed race children Obviously this this thing About white privilege plays a number of different roles within the family right? So your husband Carries white privilege with him a, a privilege that his own children do not carry How does this play out in real life And, and, and to what extent Has he become aware of Of, of, of that privilege and, and the way in which it affects And have the children also been affected by this
2: So firstly I think it would be Impossible For me to have um, Had a relationship with someone Who's not on some level, politically conscious and conscious of their, how they carry their privilege, both as a white person, but also as a male. So, you know, that's, that's part of the ongoing process of who we are as, as, as individuals, that we are both trying to reflect deeply on those questions, you know, all the time. Um, you know, having children, uh, having black children and being a white person means that you have a different kind of investment in, the eradication of racism than I think you do if you don't have those children. It shouldn't be the case. I think we should all be equally invested in where this country is going. But it does make it personal in a way that often isn't the case in a way that's much more abstract if we're just talking about these concepts broadly. And part of my interest in exploring notions of friendship between black and white people obviously comes from my own personal life, because I have a family that is diverse in its makeup. Um, but also part of my investment in it is that I think that whether you're married to a white person or a black person if you're white or whether you are friends with, you know, cross racial friendships, you should be equally invested, right? And so I would like us to get to a point where we don't have superficial kinds of friendships in which when something happens to a black person who happens to be in a room with you, you don't feel as though as a white person that affects you. You Mm. don't feel as offended by what's happened interpersonally and you don't feel as offended by institutional racism um, as you do if there were a family
1: member. Mm. Interesting last week we had a you know talking about the people that always talk about racism and um there's this whole concept of whiter than thou and blacker than thou I I'm, I I I was guilty of that I think last week um I came into a show it was very heated uh we had a black psychologist who I gave a lot of stick to and on reflection of it realized that I was using a lot of my white privilege I was better than him. I knew better than him. I was the one in control to actually handle that. And it was an amazing moment for me because there's this idea of, I think that I'm better than the other whites out there because I'm trying to work on this. But actually, there's a moment of self-reflection in that to say, I'm not better than them. You know, I've got my own story and I'm on a path that might be further or behind some other people. But amazingly so, this is a continuous struggle as a white person that you have to own.
2: Yeah, you have to own it as a white person. I, I also think that what happens sometimes is we have to reflect on what's happening. So, the show that you're, re, re, you know, referring to, there was a display of how white privilege operates on a lot of different levels. Um, so, it wasn't only in your interaction. Um, with um Bradley, it was also in the fact that both of you gave a huge amount of space mm. to the guest before, mm. a white man who was talking about his good deeds. Mm. So what happens often in conversations about white privilege is when you get the example of the good white person, the good Samaritan as it were, yes. mm. then it gets elevated and mm. that experience gets privileged over the experience, expertise, professional skill mm. of a black psychologist who's come in to talk about white privilege. Absolutely. And so it's not done on purpose. You're not trying to be a bad, mean guy. And I think it's really important to, to think about that. It doesn't make you less accountable that you're not trying to be mean, but it shows how deeply it operates and that you have to be very, very vigilant about what's happening. It wasn't only in your tone. What was operating as white privilege was the entire way the show got railroaded by white privilege itself, by the mm. notion that this white guy felt that he was entitled to talk so much.
3: Yes, yes. And and how do we then link that up with power? Because uh, a lot of that was just you know a supremacist uh, approach, let's say, by Andrew, right? So this black guy, this black psychologist is speaking. Um, I can just interject and tell him how wrong he is and how unprepared he is. How do we start to reconcile this idea that white privilege is also just about power and the way that we use it? And that you, you, you have it whether you like it or not. And, yeah. and, and how you, how you think and are conscious about the way that you use it, um, impacts on, on, on your role in society.
2: So I would ask the question backwards. So I would ask that question and say, how could you have dealt with disrupting the white privilege of the person who derailed the conversation in the first place, Mm. right? Mm. So what you're asking is, how could Andrew not have used his power and not spoken in that way? And I think that's an easier one to deal with Mm. than how it is that you disrupt the whiteness that caused the problem in the first place. Mm. So what was operating there was a reluctance on both of your parts to say to a white man of a particular age, with a particular kind of experience and voice, to say to him, actually, I think you've gone on long enough, and we've got other guests coming on.
1: Yeah,
2: um, we can't <laughs> go on this long. <laughs> it's so nice, you so about
1: <laughs> No, but you know what? It,
3: it actually makes a point because when you interjected uh, Bradley, it was a matter of you're you're going, you're not sticking to what we we hear yes, about. It's so, harsh. It's but uh, yeah. but yet Mark Mark Solms Continued. was doing the same thing. He yes, was just going on yes. and on, and and there wasn't that urge to say, ah, you know what? At 15 minutes of speaking. Mark, we have to go on Sorry Uh, Let's get everybody in on What was that? What what do you think? So what's operating there
2: Is that there's all kinds of social reasons Why it's very difficult to interrupt a white man Mm. And there are all sorts of reasons Why it's much easier to interrupt a black one Mm. Because you have um, a history of thinking That black people's ideas and thoughts Can be put on hold You have... Um, Hmm. much more um, of of an understanding of your relationship with black people as peers, if you're of a certain age, Mm. and an older white man in particular, that kind of power, it's difficult to put it into words, but I think we all know the feeling. That authority. That authority, and that's the patriarch, as Mm. it were, right? Mm. Mm. And so it is incredibly difficult to disrupt that kind of whiteness, and it's much easier to disrupt a certain kind of blackness.
1: All right. We're speaking white privilege. It is the end of the series. We're going over the shows. If you haven't checked them out, go to uh, cliffcentral.com, Konza Show, and uh, click on the full podcast before this. We have some interesting people listening. You can also tweet us at Rory Shabalala or at Yebo underscore Levy. You can also phone in 861 While 189 Wow, there was the plug. Uh, Eusebius Mekaiser is listening in. My view isn't that we don't talk about white privilege or not dismantle it. My point is we need not explain ad nauseum to whites.
2: Right. That's so again this is this is a a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um so part of my own interest in continuing the conversation uh with white people not Not to the extent that I'm exhausted by it. So I won't talk to white people until I'm exhausted. I refuse to talk to anyone until I'm exhausted. I won't talk to men until I'm exhausted. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. But so long as I have the interest and the energy, I will do it. And the reason I will do it is because, and I know this is deeply unpopular at this particular moment in time, but I will say it, is that I continue to believe in democracy. And I continue to believe that South Africa is a place in which we are trying to figure out a system for ruling ourselves that is just... And we are trying to figure that out in a way that privileges the voices of all people. Mm -hmm. And that white people in South Africa are not going anywhere. So we cannot wish them away. They are here. Whether we like it or not is another question. But the fact is they are here. Mm -hmm. So so long as there are white people in the society and so long as I'm committed to democracy, I will continue to engage in the democratic project, which means talking to all members of this society.
1: Mm.
3: So let's talk about this, that white people are here. And so we do need to to acquire and uh, learn the ability to use the tools of having this conversation about white privilege because for as long as white people are here, for as long as we have the history that we have, the issues of white privilege will continue to persist. And we're not going to wish them away either. So what are some of the tools? So taking it back to last week's show – in that particular setting You had a white guy uh, Who who acted in a certain way Against a black guy You had a black guy as well Who wasn't sticking to the st- Let's call it the script Of right. what we So so he was also Let's say out of line In a certain way uh, You had a black guy Who was spectating all of this And, and, and maybe not jumping in and saying you know Andrew I actually disagree with you i kept quiet um but also to say no bradley actually that's not that's not how it is uh, we're actually trying to get on with the show i sat back and listened to mark for 30 minutes so we have all these participants and this was a microcosm of what's happening in society in the workplace you have White people and black people and you have these sorts of scenarios playing themselves out all the time. You have racist incidents happening, happening in parking lots and restaurants and so on. Some of us are observers. Some of us are involved. Um, we, you know, on radio shows, we have racist things said and so on. It happens all across. What are some of the tools that we need to start engaging in this without, you know, I just imagine we've spoken about just this discomfort. You know, you don't want to be that guy. In the middle of a dinner conversation, everybody is laughing. Something is said that's out of line. Mm. And uh, and you're like, oh, you know, for me to stop this laughter now by just saying, guys, no, actually wait. Yeah. <laughs> we are confronted with these things. What are some of the things that yeah. we need to do as black and white and so on, yeah. as spectators, as as participants, to try and start to deal with this and be constructive in dealing with it in a manner that builds this democratic project.
2: So I think the first issue is to not be distracted by the thing that seems to be the most obvious. So if I go back to the example of what happened last week with your show, the most obvious thing is Andrew raising his voice to a black guest Mm. and saying to him, okay now, but you know, we we're here for a particular purpose. Mm. Um, So that's the thing that we want to concentrate on because that's the thing that's easiest to talk about. And yet white privilege operates most of the time in invisible ways and in ways that we consent to. We agree to them because we refuse to see them and we refuse to recognize them and then call them out. And it's very difficult to call something out when it's invisible. So you have the sense that something's wrong, but you Mm. can't put your finger on it or... You're so accustomed to being in a society where that happens all the time that you don't see it as wrong anymore. Mm. So I'm more interested in that stuff than the obvious stuff. But I think it's also important to help people with tools for the obvious stuff. Mm. But let's just talk a little bit about that stuff. So in the example of your show last week, what was happening was the normal way in which white men take up disproportionate amount of space and time... And amplify their own voices and project their own authority was not challenged. Okay? Mm. So that was the main problem. Because if that had been challenged, Andrew wouldn't have had to raise his voice at the black guest, whom it was easier to question, Mm. because now you really were running out of time. Right? Mm. So on a practical level, be, you know you can say but we were running out of time because but the reason you're running out of time is because you had given somebody 30 minutes yeah somebody white mm. and male who was telling a good story about whiteness mm. which happens again all the time so the privileging of the white voice is a huge problem mm. of white privilege mm. so that's one mm. very concrete thing that we have to be alive to recognize it and then be able to figure out how to stop it Politely Because by the time You're not doing it politely You're feeling out of control You're Mm. feeling angry You're feeling completely stressed Mm. And then It becomes a situation In which you're not sure How to handle it
3: Mm. Yeah. Now Andrew, I just want to ask you In that moment So we've obviously had conversations after the show And in that moment You, you, were, dealing, you were in conflict So you were responding to what you were feeling deep down inside And you has, you've said it had nothing to do with the fact that I'm white That I was doing this This guy was just going off topic But then later on you've reflected So what was going on in that moment And how does that connect to what uh, Sisonke is saying?
1: I think it's, it's bang on so, so in that moment I think I had what I would call Radio host privilege um or radio broadcaster privilege, where I am right, white, I'm in the big chair. White
3: radio host privilege. No,
1: no, I don't think so. Like, I mean, yes, I am white, so I've got to own that. But I think it's more that I am the owner of this show, effectively, with you, and these are our guests that we are interviewing. And so, if they are getting out of line for whatever reason, I'm more experienced at putting them back in line and making sure that I can have, and I've got good tongue and cheek to to make the right words sound right, and and so on and so. On. So that's what I thought. Um. The guest was going off topic, blah, 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 blah. On reflection, I thought about that moment that Sasonki is talking about, which is to say we gave this one guy 30 minutes. Yes, he's, he's an expert. Yes, he's an interesting story. Yes, we wanted to profile him, so we wanted to give him a bit more space. But we didn't interject. It wasn't a conversation. He was telling us his story. And that's not conversational radio. Now, if that was someone else... And, uh, you know, maybe a younger black person, I would have probably interjected and gone, hey, hey, hold on a second. This is a conversation. I wouldn't have done horribly, but this is a conversation. Let's ask the questions. And we didn't. And I didn't. And that's where I thought, you know, talking about this invisible stuff, this is the important stuff. This is the stuff that really counts. Because white privilege, I think, is a situation of whites have been doing this for so long that now being challenged is this weird concept of, hold on, but I always talk in a room. Like, that's my personality. That's what I do. And that's... That's an interesting space because mm. now I'm like, wait, you're telling me that it's because of white privilege that I'm always the one talking the loudest and being heard the most and blah, blah, blah. And actually, I need to be quiet. I don't know how to be quiet.
3: Mm. So, Sonke, how does this then play out? Because, you know, a lot of this is, as you were saying, it's not deliberate. It's not. I'm not trying to be bad and so on. Uh, I just carry this thing. Now, how do I start to see it as in myself as a white person? And how do I then modulate it or deal with it in a way that's not going to, must I now be the super careful person who's a affre- you know, super politically correct because I don't want to offend anyone. How am I authentic to myself mm. while also checking my white privilege? Yeah.
1: So is this th- from a white perspective or a black perspective?
3: No, I'm speaking, I'm putting myself, in, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm putting yourself into your skin for a moment.
2: <laughs> so there's two sides to the story. On the one hand, I think, um, white people are often extremely afraid. Either they're like just rampant racists who don't care at all uh, about (laughs) appearing racist. Mm. And for me, those are a lost cause and are not interested at all in those kinds of engagements because, you know, that's a decision people have made. Or they're the kind of people who are deeply married to this idea that they're good people. And because they're good people, they can't possibly be racist. Mm. Right? Mm. And so the minute that you say to someone you're exercising white priv- privilege, what they think you're saying is, I'm racist. And sometimes you are saying that. And if you are telling them that, then they feel like that's the worst thing in the world. Mm. Right? And they think that what it does is it strips them of the things that make them special. But I am articulate. <laughs> yes, but you're talking over black people. Mm. Right? So the question is, how do I be me? and still be mm. right, an authentic person, as you're saying. Mm. Mm. So I think um, disabusing people of this notion that um, operating in racist ways, operating in ways that disadvantage other people, because the flip side of privilege is disadvantage. The reason I'm concerned with white privilege is not because I feel like talking to white people about privilege. It's because I'm very invested in black people not being disadvantaged. Hmm. I'm very invested in women Not being advantaged By what it means For example When a white man Takes up all the space In the boardroom And then it's time For us to have promotions Who's going to get the promotion? The person who Was silenced Mm. Because they couldn't Show their personality Their full So the reason White privilege is important Is because of What it means about black disadvantage, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, we we've got some uh, WeChats coming through, some tweets as well. Um, Rose says, "I enjoyed your white privilege show until you got you just got childish about how long a white person spoke for." Really? I think he was on a different show and different topic. He may he may have been just as verbal to other white people. Wow, that just got racist.
2: So this is an excellent example of what often happens when you talk about race so to name what happened as a use of privilege is now, now being racist. called racist right mm. and so what we're pointing out is that if you were to divide up the time and you were to and you were to race it and to say well in that show Actually, how much time did Roy speak for? Mm. How much did you mm. speak for? Mm. How much did Andrew speak for? How much did Bradley speak for? Mm. Um, even if you make allowances that you had a, a, a special guest who you wanted to speak slightly longer for. But actually, if you look at that, there are real power issues that drive how much we speak and who gets respected. And who gets interjected. So to hmm. name that is not racist. I'm mm. not saying that I hate um, Mark for mm. speaking longer mm. i'm not saying he's a terrible person mm. uh, as a white person for doing that i'm saying that that was uh, a racialized conversation mm. and that his act was one in, that used white privilege. To say something as white privilege is not to be racist.
3: Yeah, I, I think so. I, I just saw this WeChat, and I must say, I just, I, I could feel a little bit, uh, you know, a pop, you know. <laughs> I started boiling just a little bit, because, so, one, one she's speaking, I, I felt like this message is very patronizing towards us. Oh, how childish. Really? Yeah. You know, as if we're, we're these people. So, there's dealing with that. So how do you, how do you deal with these sorts of comments from, from rose and so on? And also, how do we, how do we get people like, like rose to, to, to move? Or do you just say, you know what, rose, I, you're, you're a lost cause as far as this is concerned. This is not a conversation that you seem to be ready to have. I'm having it and you're probably not the right person to, to have it with. How do we start? Because my natural reaction to that would have been, I oh, sod off. Yeah, you know who needs that, and I mean, that's appropriate. For Pete's sake.
2: Yeah, I think that's a, so. I try not to um, get too invested in how black people choose to respond to white racism. Mm. Um, so, uh, white black people who uh, choose to say to Roz, "Actually, screw you. I'm not interested in that opinion. You've heard it, and if you choose to see it that way, that's your view. I have a lot of respect and a lot of time for that." Response, mm. But I also have a lot of respect and time for someone who's going to invest the time in a rose to sit and ch- talk with them. I'm not going to be that person mm. because my commitment is to having the conversation, to putting information out there. What people then choose to do with it um, is their business. So there's three – there's kind of three ways you can look at it. Don't talk to white people at all. So don't come on Cliff Central. Don't engage in the conversation at all. Mm. Two – um Engage in the conversation and handhold white people through a process where they learn and you uh, invest a lot of time and energy in getting them to understand. I'm not there either. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third one, which is an approach that I choose, which is that I am a South African who is part of a country that involve, includes white people, so I will have open conversations with that include white people and what they take, they take, and what they don't, they don't. But the reason I'm invested in it is because I believe in South Africa and because I want to put an end to black disadvantage. Mm.
3: But the way you're positioning that, that role is that the, the, the black person takes the hand of the white person and leads them or chooses not to. Uh, how does a white person... Engage in that because what what would have to fundamentally change is also a power structure where I have never been led by a black, by a black person i 've never why, why can 't it be another white person that's, that 's leading me through this? How do you engage in that? Because I imagine as a white person, it, it would be very difficult to apprentice yourself um, to engaging on such issues uh, from a black person if you've never had a relationship where a black person was leading you. And as a black person, how do you confidently take that role as the apprentice in that situation and see it as something that is, that is very important in terms of building? And not necessarily by bringing down the white identity or mm. the, the white person uh, behind that identity, but more building them up.
2: So I feel like that's a conversation that can only happen amongst friends. So if you happen to be black and white person who are friends already, then the that type of thing can be worked out in the context of, of your friendship. What is in, sort of strange and distressing to me is when often you'll see white people latching on to a black person who may be a, you know, a public you know someone who thinks publicly and so on, and there. This is where I, I completely agree with Eusebius. You know, so you see, and it happens to me all the time. You see that someone will tweet you and will expect you to pay them a particular amount of time and attention that is disproportionate with with your own energy and Mm. interests and other things that you have to do with your own life. Mm. And they often do that without regard for what it means for you as a person, a black person in particular, but also for the vast array of resources that exist in the world that there have been many, many thinkers both black and white. We do have Google. So if you're tweeting me, you also have Google. Mm so you can also <laughs> check on it yourself yeah <laughs> all
1: right we're gonna take a quick break uh, play some adverts we've got adverts rory these days it's amazing that's our ce- like up. celebrity status baby um so uh, we'll be back right after this white privilege continues hey tweet us at rory shabalala or at yebo underscore levy if you've got an opinion 0861 give us a call tell us what your thoughts are i was young out of control Drinking, drowning, brewing the storm. I was never brave. Buckled, crawled, crashed. I was never brave. Fled, bled, followed, never led. If only someone had stepped in, pulled me out. That's why I became the mentor I wish I'd had. Help under 18 say no to alcohol. Sign up at sabstories.coza. Hashtag be the mentor, a South African breweries initiative.
0: This is CliffCentral.com.
1: Back in studio with Sison Kim Simang. She is joining us today on our last of the white privilege series. Rory, we've been speaking about one specific moment in the show, uh, last week that happened, but there was a number of, of number of moments, uh, throughout the show that, that, that catch attention about this white privilege thing. Mm. Um, you know there was there was uh, Christie saying that she wants you know black people want whites to walk into the sea. We had Arons who, who thought he was he was part of Afri Forum and he thought that he was the marginalized one in all this. That that he, he as a white person doesn't have a voice in South Africa anymore because it's always seen as racist. Susonga, so how do you feel about that like that kind of approach where where white people feel like they they 're disenfranchised because anything that they say becomes racist or racial um, and that they won 't be taken on their merit of what they 're saying but rather on the fact that oh actually it 's coming from a white person, therefore it doesn 't have merit
2: so i mean that 's fascinating because the experience of black people since forever has been not being taken based on their merit has been anything that they say is assumed to be racial. And in fact, the reality is that we live in a country <clears throat> in which black people continue to be overrepresented as the poor, uh, as unemployed, et cetera, et cetera. So I have very little, um, I'm trying to be an empathetic person, particularly in conversations about race, but I have very little empathy for the notion of white victimization, particularly um given that most of the time when we're even having the conversation about race and racism, we're having it in English. We're having it um, in, a, in, a, in a language in which most black people are not as fluent as the white people with whom they're having the argument. Mm. And conversations tend to be had between white people who have had historical access to education and are able to articulate themselves in particular ways even when their ideas are not particularly good about race and racism, which often white people's ideas are not very good on race and racism because white people in South Africa are not race literate. Mm. And yet they often tend to overpower black people in those conversations who don't always have the ability to articulate themselves because we're not um, necessarily as eloquent on these issues because of the history of education systems.
1: This racial literacy is is a very important and interesting one because a lot of white people have been going throughout the shows going, what do I do with this white privilege? You know, like, what do you want me to do with this white privilege? And I think it's around this idea of of literacy, right? It's about understanding your space. Um, I mean, Rory, how have you felt with regards to the way in which people have come across as a black person to the show.
3: So again, I think it's, it's about this is a conversation that needs to be had. But in order to have conversation, you need vocabulary. Mm. And we haven't yet acquired the vocabulary to have conversations on white privilege. We haven't yet acquired the skills to have those conversations without getting overly offended or without going in, you know, you will never. You will never understand anything new about the world as long as the only way you choose to interpret the world is according to the words that you choose to, to, to define the world according to. And we're not willing to acquire those words from other people. And I think this is, this is a good part because I I want us to play a game, Sisonko. Let's just, let's just sketch out a few scenarios and 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 maybe provide us with your thoughts on how we deal with them so i'm at a dinner party i'm at andrew's house Mm -hmm. um at a dinner party um he's got a black domestic worker Mm -hmm. uh and in that instance as a black person i see an instance so everybody's having fun everybody's talking about everything else Mm. we're not talking about race and so on and i see an instance where i feel like ooh, ouch what 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 practically do i do as a black person and if andrew happens to be at a dinner party with other white people and he sees the very same thing what does he do as a white person bearing in mind the discomfort of it and so on how what are the practical things that can be done
2: so one is um black people don't have to be the spokesperson for the race and the burden of addressing racism typically falls on black people, which is why I will continue to be interested in conversations about white privilege and whiteness, because it's important that white people take on the burden of being South Africans. If I'm saying that I am a South African who is committed to a future in this country in which all people live in this country, then what I'm also saying is that I expect white people to take more responsibility for their role in what that means. And that means challenging racism because it means challenging black disadvantage. Mm. So, Given that, so if you are now a woke, you know, white person mm-hmm. who, who who gets it, I think it's incumbent upon you to challenge racism to the same extent that it's incumbent upon a black person. So the first is disabuse yourself of this notion that in a dinner party, when a racist thing happens, it's the black person's responsibility to deal with it. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. So if you happen to be. The one black person in the room and it happens and you want to engage it, of course, by all means, engage it. But I think you should not feel compelled to engage it because you are the black person. Right. Because that's also an incredibly exhausting burden to carry. Right. And it can in some occasions, given the violence of this society, be a, a, a deeply dangerous thing to do. It can also, given the structure of our society, if it's a professional function, have very serious and significant consequences for your professional life. So are there very good reasons why often black people don't challenge racism when they see it, which have to do with their positionality and their just access to a job, right? Mm. Um, So there are good reasons not to do it. But I think it's incumbent upon a white person in the room to say, hey, man, that's not cool, Mm. right?
1: I think the interesting question that you, <clears throat> that you bring Rory is that that contextual thing that you said right now that's a racism moment that's a racist moment uh, that that you're bringing up right um, but this idea of of <clears throat> is there a difference and and Sonke maybe you can answer as well mm-hmm. Rory and Sonke like is there a difference in your mind between white privilege and racism
2: yes so what and again this is why sometimes You can get distracted by the racist incident when actually what we want to disrupt and challenge and overturn is white privilege, right? So white privilege is what leads to a non-racist act, necessarily, of a white man taking up too much time and space, Mm -hmm. totally unaware And often black people feel it but can't say anything about it. That's white privilege operating. A racist moment is someone making a joke and using the K-word. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So in some ways, it's easier to deal with the racist moment if you're white because you can disrupt the privilege of the white person who used their power in that way. As a black person who is often disadvantaged, both by the use of the the K-word, but also by your social power in that situation, one, if you're the only one, or two, if it's a work situation in which your livelihood is dependent on it, it's much more difficult for you to challenge that racist moment. It can be easier for you to recognize, it is easier for white people, black people to recognize white privilege operating. We see it all the time. It's like another, it's a language for us. We understand it. White people don't see it. Black people see it. But racist moments provide an opportunity for white people to challenge white privilege and racism. Does that, cl- does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it's uh, interesting, Rory. You know, we, we've been speaking uh, earlier about <laughs> personal stories about this privilege, white privilege thing. I, I remember when I was 16, I was, uh, catching a taxi, um, from my school to, to home. And, um, and this is, this is not a cab. This is a taxi. This is a South black African taxi, taxi, a black taxi. And, um, I got into the taxi and was about to go and the taxi driver stopped and he said, you, get out of the taxi. (laughs) And I was like, I was just amazed. I was like, this is unbelievable. This is so racist. I mean, I was 16. I didn't have the language. I didn't have the literacy. And I was like, this is so racist. How did he do? This is unbelievable. I can't believe that he just kicked me out of a taxi. Not thinking that this guy has a choice. He, He made the choice. He owns the taxi. He can do whatever he wants. It's my white privilege to say I should, I deserve to be on that taxi. Um, so it's an interesting one that that thinking back to that story, that actually I think that's more p- white privilege on my behalf than racial prejudice on the taxi driver's. No,
2: behalf. I think you're just, you're letting him off the hook. <laughs> he was kicking. You, if if it, I don't mean I don't I don't know the story, but if he was kicking you out because uh, you were white, what you experienced was the bias against you on the basis of your skin color that black people experience every single day which is then overlaid with that then systemically resulting in them not getting jobs not getting into university etc cetera, etc cetera. but you experienced, you've experienced bias
1: but maybe it was because I had bad body odor on the day or something like that maybe you know? <laughs> but often,
2: what, often what, what you're doing is what black people who want to excuse racism often do they often make excuses and say no it wasn't necessarily you know about my, ra- my skin color
3: so we have a call on the line um, wanting to join in. We've, we've really enjoyed the engagement from our listeners. Um, uh, hello. We've got... Uh, Anonymous, uh, Anonymous has now decided not to speak to us. That's what
1: happens. That's what a, a, People pity. are too scared to talk. Yeah. I mean, what's going on? What's going on?
3: Rory? I, ju- I just want to to go through this questionnaire. We we did a questionnaire on white privilege earlier, and uh, Susanca has given us another one, which is great. We're just going to go through it again in case you missed the first one. These are questions that you can give yourself a tick for, and then you count the number of ticks, and that that essentially gives you your white privilege score. Mm. Um, let's 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 quickly run through them, and then I just want us to have a quick conversation. Conversation about it, if you remember the last time we did this, um, Gareth got eighteen um, out, some, of some other, out, out of, out of twenty okay uh, we had we had others that got seventeen and so on, and then uh, i got I got six my got five um, and and i 'd like to talk about what that means and so okay, now I know the score I know my white privilege score. I know that Rory got five. What does that mean because Rory and I are sitting in the same space right now we 're occupying the same space so What does it mean to say, okay, he got a score of 6 and then I got a score of 18? Um, The first question, I can arrange to be in the company of people of my own race. Of my uh, Most of the time I can go Shopping alone most of the time pretty well assured That I will not be followed or harassed Uh, I can turn on the television or open The front page of the paper and see People of my race widely represented When I'm told that our national heritage Or about our civilization I'm shown that people Of my color made, made it What it is I can be sure that my children Will be given curriculum materials that Testify to the existence of their race I can go into a music shop And count on finding music of my race Represented into a supermarket and find the food i grew up with into a hairdresser's shop and find somebody who can deal with my hair whether i use checks credit cards or cash i can count on my skin color not to work against the appearance of financial responsibility i am not made acutely aware that my shape bearing or body odor will be taken as a reflection of my race i can worry about racism without being seen as self-interested or self-seeking i can take a job or enroll in a college with an affirmative action policy without having my co-workers or peers assume that I got it because of my race. I can be late to a meeting without having the lateness reflect on my race. I can choose public accommodation without fearing that people of my race cannot get in or will be mistreated. I am never asked to speak for all the people of my race, <laughs> racial group. I can be pretty sure that if I if I ask to talk with a person in charge, I'll be facing a person of my race. If a traffic cop pulls me over, or if the if the SARS audits my tax return, I can be sure I haven't been singled out because of my race. I can easily buy posters, postcards, pictures, books greeting cards and so on children's magazines featuring people of my race i can choose blemish co- cover or bandages in flesh color and have them more or less match my skin i can do well in a challenging situation without being called credit to my race i can walk into a classroom and known i will not be the only member of my race i can enroll, enroll in a class at a college and be sure that the majority of my professors will be of my race so just think about
1: that for a moment while we go to our caller so guess who it is who is it Ah, uh, it's jordan jordan welcome <laughs>
0: Andrew, don't sound so disappointed.
1: No, I'm excited. I love hearing from you. What have you got to say this time? Tell us.
0: <laughs> well, actually, it's a question for Sosonka because I, I am loving these discussions, as, as you know. And, and and as I said to you last week, I, I really do think it needs to be taken further and something needs to be done. done. So my, my question for Sasonka is, um, I said last week, could we not do a mini sort of um, TRC within our community uh, to, to start, start making an awareness and also for, for whites to, to listen to blacks, for blacks to have a, a platform where they are listened to, where there is no, um, prejudice, where there is no justification, where there is just somebody listening. And, and obviously this would be, have to be so well controlled and you would have to have a certain amount of people there that really know their stuff and know how to, uh, do something like this. Is that just a pipe dream or could something
2: like that happen? So I don't think it's a pipe dream at all. I, So I'm a big believer in very localized initiatives. So one of my biggest criticisms of the TRC, and I have many criticisms about the TRC, (laughs) even though there were, I think, many wonderful things about it. But one of my biggest criticisms, Jordan, of the TRC was that it operated at a highly national level, um, and it needed to at that time. But what it meant was that at a very local level in people's communities where they live, um, it was very difficult to have those kinds of conversations. And they were often unguided conversations. So I think there's a great need for guided conversations that happen, you know, where people live. And I and yeah, I would love to see that happen. One of the problems that we have in this country is that since the um, TRC ended, we don't have Any national level leadership On conversations about race Mm. So we had this period in which We were um, convinced That the Rainbow Nation was the way That we were going, the TRC was the Vehicle to get us to the Rainbow Nation The TRC um, Had its findings, it ended and then we thought that the Rainbow Nation idea would continue to live forever without any guidance, without any support, without any kind mm-hmm. of curation of those ideas. Mm. And it's very clear that many black South Africans have rejected the idea of the Rainbow Nation, not because they don't want to um, agree to the idea that black people and white people are equal, but because the experience of black disadvantage makes a lie of the Rainbow Nation. So post yeah. that. What we need to do is figure out what's a new language, what's a new frame. And I really think your idea is a great one if we have the literate people who can facilitate and hold the tensions of discomfort. So the big thing that I was talking to to Rory Sang and to to Andrew about before the show started was this idea that white people really battle with being uncomfortable the, yeah. the rejection on defensiveness is about being made to feel uncomfortable and yeah. you have to live with discomfort. And this is, you know, as a parent, I um, am a great believer with my kids in ambivalence that they don't have to be happy about everything all the time, nor deeply sad that you can sit with being bored with being uncomfortable sometimes, that there's great value to be gotten out of those spaces of ambivalence. And I think that white people in South Africa need to learn how to be uncomfortable.
1: Jordan, very quickly, is there anything you disagreed with uh, Sisonke on while um, listening to her? There, there was one one thing. Um, and what she, I'd love to say, Andrew, that I
0: can see her point of view. But being white, I... I can understand, and and I think it's, it's a bit of a cheap to I can see her point of view, but when she said she has little, very uh, very little empathy for white victimisation, I agree with that. But I also think going, okay, this a stupid phrase, going forward, but <laughs> if we were to sit down and 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 have these kind of discussions, I think they would have to be. I don't know if understanding is the right way to put it, but also a a voice where white can say you know what, I've, I've listened to you. Please understand this, that this is how I feel. And ex- yeah, an, an acknowledgement. I don't know if that, is that right to say, yes, okay, we understand that's how you feel, but you are the more educated. You are the more privileged. You also need to stand up and say, and put that behind you and say, all right, I am willing with my education, with my privilege to rather uh, put that aside and see your point of view
2: yeah so i um am also a great believer, believer in not necessarily agreeing on everything. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so I, I completely see wh- where you're coming from with the the notion of giving white people space to say, "Yes, but, you know to de- so the defensiveness, for me, is a very crucial part of the conversation on race. When white people are defensive, that's important to me because we work with that. So ultimately, I would like there not to be a defensive response. But when it happens, I'm not surprised by it. Uh, you know, when that earlier, uh, you know, SMS came through saying, you know, by Rose saying, oh, now this is childish and racist. That doesn't I, I, my temperature doesn't rise. I don't boil uh, because I expect that I anticipate it and I embrace it as part of the conversation. That is what it means to be struggling with this question.
3: As as we as we approach landing uh, this this show and indeed this series, um, I'm just wondering, you know, what Jordan just said. I guess is is something that everybody might be thinking. Okay, fine, I get it. I need to do something. I need to have conversation. I I get it. Who must lead? Uh, because I, I'm all for what you're saying, localized. Because we can't keep waiting for a national messiah that's going to lead these conversations, and and those conversations never really trickle down to. Me around the dinner table. Yeah. And in the past couple of months, I've had, and as a result of this show, a number of friends and so on, white friends saying, you know, come over for dinner. I'm going to invite a number of my white friends. Let's have this conversation. And I admire those guys. They're, they're, they're guys uh, from Stellenbosch University. They're called Sadart uh or A group of white Afrikaans guys who have said, you know, come in, help us to understand these things. I admire that, but we need more of those. Who must lead them and how must you? If I want to lead that in my own community, as a white person, as a black person, how do I lead those conversations?
2: So one is that I think um, often as South Africans, we do ourselves this disservice because we pretend that we're not doing anything. Um, in the face of abundance evidence that we are doing a lot. (laughs) Mm, mm, mm. So I think part of my own nostalgia about what I wish could be done when I talk about what happened after the TRC is that I just wish we had a better government, right? Mm. So I wish there were leadership from government around these things because the state has the resources and has an obligation to make equality real. But in the absence of that, it is very clear to me that Churches and mosques are having conversations about equality all the time. It's clear to me that the students um, have led on this issue in a way that has made political parties start running after them and sort of they're following the conversation. Mm. Um, so it's clear that lots of conversations are already happening. I think it's incumbent on, upon people to educate themselves. If you are a white person who um, is in any way angry and upset about affirmative action for example if you find yourself having racialized conversations with your friends about crime you're a perfect candidate to begin to delve more deeply to get onto twitter and follow and i'm saying this because i'm talking to a primarily white audience this is what cliff central is Mm. so these more elite tools are available to white people Mm. To do a bit of research and to start asking questions, not necessarily of the black people in your life if you aren't friends with them. I am not an advocate of burdening black people who are already busy with many, many things with a huge amount of questions unless you have demonstrated intent and interest in learning yourself first. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of work <laughs> for white people to do, but the practical way in which we then make this thing real is for white people to understand that their job as a good citizen, as someone who has decided to stay in this country and live in this country, or if they didn't decide because that's, that's just their lot, they don't have choices. They're here. If you are going to be part of South Africa, then your obliga- obligation is to disrupt whiteness. It is not only to challenge racism when it's happening in your face. It is to disrupt the ways in which you operate with power. And when you see it happening with other people who are your friends, to challenge it too. This is not black people's job alone. Mm,
1: mm, mm. Rory, we've got to wrap up. It's, uh, yeah. I have one question for you. I mean, is this it? Are we just leaving it here? Like, is this the of end of not. white privilege?
3: Of course not. So... I think Suswenka touches on a very important thing there. And, and that is, you know, I'm going back to that example that I like <clears> to tell. When a black child and a white child are born today, both born today, they're born equal. And then immediately they inherit identities that they had nothing to do with forming. The struggles that they, that, that they get born to and so on without, they had nothing to do with it, but they inherit them. And it is our lot as, as the adults in this, in, in, in society to start figuring out what type of identities we want to bequeath to the children that are getting born today. Do we still want these children to be inheriting these identities? And if we don't, what are we going to do about it? Because this thing that, oh no, we weren't there when this thing happened. Yes, we Nonsense. weren't, but we are now, we've inherited these identities. You've inherited your privilege without having to do anything about it. I've inherited my struggles without asking for them. What are you and me doing to make sure that we start to, Make sure that the inheritance that we give to the children that are born today is more meaningful and positive than what we had in the past.
1: I think just my, my one thought that has come through in, the, in these shows specifically is that white privilege is not about wealth. You can give all your wealth away and still have white privilege. And that was a really big moment for me because it's not about the things we have. It's about the subconscious. It's about the psychological. It's about
2: both. Let me correct that because I think. You think? Absolutely. And if we go, if we insist, it's easy to fall back on this idea that white privilege is just about feelings. It's not just about feelings. I'm interested in the white privilege conversation because giving out. Giving up white privilege means stopping institutional racism. It means giving up wealth in particular ways, both personally and through societal uh, actions more broadly. And it is also about changing your feelings and the way that you interact with it. And if we lose the one, then we don't deal with white privilege. We just deal with bias and prejudice. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in white privilege, as I've said before, because it illuminates black disadvantage.
1: And there we have to leave li- I, I, like- I want to have that conversation We're there We have to leave <laughs> Sisonke You're going to have to come back From Australia And discuss that more with us Thank you so much For being our guest today Thank you One hour with Sisonke Msimang What an incredible Incredible individual You can catch her on Twitter At Sisonke Msimang And you can catch this entire series On cliffcentral.com Forward slash Konzo show Check it out If you are interested We'd love to hear your thoughts
3: By the way Sisonke said uh, Her Ruth first lecture Is going to be published Tell us quickly Two yes, seconds Yes
2: there's a book coming out It will be next year Called the ties that bind and it's about interracial friendships and mine is the first chapter in the book
1: very nice well done thank you so much for joining us today
0: this is cliffcentral.com